Father God, we do give you thanks and praise for today. Holy Spirit, be with each of us now as we hear the word that you have laid upon me. May the meditation of my heart and my mouth when I speak brings you praises, Jesus. In this name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, let's open up the Bibles or whatever device that you have. Let's go to 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2, verses 13 to 25, but our focus is going to be on verses 21 and 25, because I want to give some context as we read before that, before what we get into this morning. Again, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 25. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. And here's for what we're doing today. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threat, but kept entrusting himself to him, who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Amen. As it stated, as we read in verses 13 to 20, that we are to submit to any type of authority that is above us, whether government, police authority, military authority. I know many of you who have been, maybe been in the military understand that quite clearly in our places of work. In verses 18, we see the word master and relates. We're going to kind of focus on our work because that's the best example that we have in non-military terms how the authority above us or even our social structure of society. There were slaves and masters, but here in the United States, thank God there is no more slavery. But there is slavery throughout the world in different places. So again, we can relate this to our work and to the social construct of our nation. And lastly, in these verses, we look at the second half of verse 20. To find favor with God is found when an employee or anybody else that's an authority of you is treated unfairly or unjustly and accepts his or her poor treatment with faith and God's sovereign care rather responding in what? In anger. 
hostility, or in rebellion. Of course, at times we sin towards our people that are in our authority above us with hostility and anger, etc. And then leading up to verse 21 to 25, Jesus is a true example, which is the title for this message that we should follow while he lived on this earth. Just a reminder that we are not perfect. We do sin. But Jesus is our true example. Point one, our calling and purpose, as we see in verse 21. The, verse, the phrase that says, for you have been called, is our, what, is our call to salvation. Many of you can recall the date that you came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. That was a glorious day for you and for me. I remember it quite well. My date was October 4th, 1997, at a Promise Keepers event called Stand in the Gap that was held in Washington, D.C. That changed my life profoundly. And I thank God for that day. Then we look at the word purpose. What is that purpose that Peter is talking about? The purpose is to have patient endurance from our being called to salvation. Again, we go back to verse 20, right? Again, the Christian life is not easy, but trust God. Remember that Jesus intercedes for us and let the Holy Spirit work in your lives in those tough times. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. You can do that. Just like praying to God that we're going to be talking about, say, Holy Spirit, illuminate me as you're reading the word or in this tough situation that you're in. Also, this phrase means that believers were called to emulate Jesus' life, which brings glory to God and salvation to mankind. What does that mean when I say salvation to mankind? Well, we don't, but we bear the responsibility. When Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, right? We have that responsibility. So how we emulate Jesus Christ, when we go out, the world sees us. But believers are called by God, we're suffering. Especially to a Western culture, we think Christianity in terms of what's in it for me, culture. Or even the health and wealth and prosperity gospel. You see, they have sugar-coated what it means to live and to emulate Jesus Christ. And we know for sure, friends, that persecution of believers is happening today, even as we speak. Christ also suffered for us, leaving an example. The New Testament gives us three reasons why Christ came. One, to be the vicarious substitutionary atonement. He, the innocent, blameless Lamb of God, offered himself on our behalf. Number two, to be the full revelation, revelation of the Father. And number three, to be an example for you and I, for believers, to emulate. Jesus is the ideal Israelite, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. He is the perfect man. What humanity should have been, could be, and one day will be. Right? We're not perfect now, but one day we will be perfect. And the second point, we have seven examples from Jesus. Number one, he committed no sin. Jesus was tempted like you and I, but he did not sin. He did not sin. Remember that. We've talked about that before. Jesus has the same temptations as you and I. We can take comfort in that. 
through our trials of temptation. Of course, this is impossible feat for you and I on this earth right now. We need to resist the temptations that come upon us. But we can strive not to sin. But when we do sin, we are called to confess to God the sins that we have committed. Right? Just like the song that we had, just last, the last song that we did, the blessing, right? Well, sometimes when you are in your, wherever you're at, praying to God, doing devotions, and being in the word of God, that is the time you can confess. Because there's no distractions. Turn off the TV and just focus on God confessing your sins. And sometimes it's okay to fall on your knees and confess to God. And even sometimes, when I was at that Promise Keepers event, other men's conferences, you had men falling on their knees, confessing their sins to God. And I think sometimes we as a church, we get embarrassed if we have to fall on our knees and confess sins to God. Because God is so holy that he is in our presence right here that we are on holy ground. When we have believers right here, we are on holy ground. It talks about Corinthians, right? That we are a holy temple. So take arm of that. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. You know what? Sometimes we neglect. We have the armor of God in Ephesians. If you need help, go to Ephesians. Read that about the Word of God. I forget sometimes. And thankfully, I got a sword that's sitting in the man cave that I have that I look at it and remember the armor of God. Number two, there was no deceit found in Jesus' mouth. Jesus was not cunning. He didn't bait anyone into false beliefs. He didn't bait anyone to, to believe in the truth that he was giving. Jesus didn't practice deceiving someone or by concealing or misrepresenting the truth. Again, Jesus was the ideal Israelite. And Zephaniah 3.3 reads, The remnant of Israel will do no wrong and tell no lies. Nor will a deceitful tongue be found in their mouths, for they will feed and lie down with no one to make them tremble. Jesus exemplified that. You see, deceit hides the truth. And if caught in deceitfulness, what happens? More problems will happen, right? You tell one lie, what is it? You'll tell another lie to hide that lie, right? And it just keeps going. Jesus, number three, number three example, Jesus did not revile in return. While Jesus was being slandered, insulted, with abusive and vile language that was being thrown at him, he did not return the favor. He did not return that favor. And boy, I tell you what, being in the military, when you have people above you using bad language, even though that you are in the right... The temptation is what? To come back at them. And unfortunately, I had one incident in my Navy career, after I came to faith Christ, I used some abusive language at the young men and women that was under me. I was so frustrated. I said, you were given a gift and you didn't take that gift. I'm not going to tell you what the story was. But we got to be careful when we get in situations Right? Even when you're by yourself in the car, what happens, right? You've got a driver that pulls in front of you. What's the, sometimes you want to be angry, right? You just want to be mad and shout some, you know, just insanity at them or some language at them. 
That's why I like to have worship music on, because in that situation, I hear what's going on in the radio, and I just don't even think about it. In Isaiah 53, 7, Jesus fulfilled this prophecy as it reads, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before it shears, so he did not open his mouth. If someone spews abusive and vile language at you, don't give it back. And remember in James, we are to what? Tame our tongue. We are to tame our tongue. Sometimes I remember I had supervisors when I was in the military, one guy, he was my real tall guy. And he learned, I don't know if he was a Christian or not, but when something came back at him, he would close his eyes. And we're just like trying to figure out, what is he doing? Why is he always closing his eyes when we come back at him? Well, come to find out when we deployed with him, so that I don't yell at you back. That was his moment of silence for himself, so that he wouldn't return the favor. So tame your tongue. Tame our tongues. Number four, while suffering, Jesus uttered no threats. While Jesus was on the cross, he did speak, but in forgiveness to those involved in his death. Luke 23, 34 reads, but Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Remember the one of the criminals on the cross who was put on that cross because he did something wrong? He sinned, so he was up there on that cross. But you know what? He was defending Jesus. He was defending him. And because of that, what did Jesus say? Today you will be with me in paradise. So Jesus there dying on the cross. Something that threats were always happening to him. But he had the heart. He had the compassion. Even for that criminal on the cross. You know, sometimes too when in relationships or workplaces or dealing with police, whatever. If you do it back to them, if you, you know, say some language, but stop right there and ask for forgiveness. I know it's one of the hardest things to do, is it not? You may think you know in the right, and if you are in the right, just swallow that right and say, forgive me, I was wrong. And I'll tell you what, the complexity of the situation will change. And the fifth example, Jesus trusted himself to God. To entrust was to hand over to someone to keep. Jesus was handed over to Pilate, right? And then Pilate handed him over to the Jews. And Jesus handed himself to God at the cross, right? He put himself on the cross because he knew he had to die. So he was going on the cross, and eventually what? He went back to God. And how does this relate to us in terms of salvation, as we talked about salvation briefly? Well, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, what happens? We give ourselves to Jesus. Unconditionally, we give ourselves to Jesus. And once we give our faith in Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us. He has sealed us for redemption. And you know what? And eventually we will go to God. So we have that there. We're handed over in a way to Jesus because we want to have faith in Jesus Christ. He loves us. God says he loves us, that he gave his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins. Think about that. Many times in our life, it seems like maybe we're handed off to someone, right? You know, like in school sometimes, you're handed off to a different teacher, right? 
or you're handed off to a different school, right? That happens. In the sixth example, we died of sin. Jesus bore our sins, point blank. Jesus suffered as our substitute. To bore or bear sins was to be punished for them. Christ bore the punishment and the penalty for believers and thus satisfying a holy God. This is known as the substitutionary atonement and is the heart of the gospel. Atonement is sufficient for the sins of the whole world. Because of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, we must die to sin. We must die to sin. Now we do sin every day, but more deeper than that, what's that sin that you're repeating over and over and over? Stick a sword in it. Die. Get rid of it. Get rid of those sinful patterns. Make it go away. You got help. You got brothers and sisters in Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. You have Jesus himself. We have the tools. Die to sin. And actually what you're saying, if you die to sin, right? Think about it. You're dying to life here on this earth because you know what? We're going to go to glory. We're going to go to heaven where there will be no more sinning. We don't have to worry about it. In the seventh example, live to righteousness. We, you and I, have been declared just for the penalty of our sins because of Jesus' death on the cross. And we are called to walk in a new life, again, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We know what we see when we talk about the word to walk in scriptures, right? It talks about how the way we should live as Christians. And it's not law-focused so much, right? Because we serve a holy God that we came to Jesus Christ. Our desire should be that we should walk in true faith, right? Remember, Jesus is our example. What did he do? Who was he with? Tax collectors, right? That's a big, that's a big issue in the United States and actually around the world, right? He was with prostitutes, right? Now, I'm not saying to go hang out with prostitutes. It's not what I'm saying, right? But hang around with those that need Jesus because you know what? You know, even pastor took the youth group down to the Atlanta community thing, right? And we did some stuff, Zachary, even Diane, we did some stuff in Minneapolis. And that's the poor people a lot of times, Right? And sometimes you see the poorest of the poorest. They're dirty. You can tell they haven't taken a bath or a shower in a few days. Right? But we're there. We're there to help them. We are to walk with them in new life. Also, when we combine die to sin and to live to righteousness, this is the restoration of the image of God in humans, which restores intimate fellowship with God. It's not fully restored until we get to heaven. But think about that. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we have God the Father, Jesus' Son, and the Holy Spirit in us. We have that intimate relationship automatically. Now, if you don't like the word intimate, sometimes I have you know, intimacy. There's different phases with that. Language that could be used with that. But I look at it as Father, Abba, Father. Between God and me, between you and God. God knows who, who you are. He knows your thoughts. He knows your pains. He knows your struggles. 
It's like my desire is to walk in righteousness, right? But not as a law focus. Sometimes I do beat myself down for that, but you know what? I go back to scripture and I look what the scripture says. God speaks of that in our time of need and so does the Holy Spirit. And third point, we are healed in verse 24, the second half of verse 24. We are healed. This is, this is so important that we have to understand this because, right, this speaks of our spiritual healing. Yes, there is some physical healing attached to that. We've got to remember what? When we were born, what? We're sin. We're born into sin. So automatically, we're sinners upon conception. Because you know why? Because our mothers were sinners. And you know, you just follow the line all the way back to Adam and even, even after the flood, right? Think about that. Our spiritual healing. That is more important than our physical healing. So much more. And oh, it, it hurts and it pains. Back in 19, I think it was 1977, I was hit by a car. And that draw, I didn't know what was going on. I was too young. I was 10 years old. I didn't understand. But you know what? Because of my mother's faith in Jesus Christ, she was there with me. She wasn't that so much praying for, for my physical well-being. She was praying for that God comfort me. And yes, I did heal. I'm here today. I'm walking. But that was God's timing. But I'm there after being drugged up, sitting there in the hospital bed, my mom in tears and she was praying for me and she had to go to work the next day in two hours. Yes, I wish she was still here. But she understood that healing that I needed at that time. Remember in the Old Testament, sometimes when they sinned, they would have, something would happen to them, like leper, right? If they do something wrong, you get lepers showing up. Well, this is different in the New Covenant. Fourth point, a return to God. As we look at this verse, remember that God created each of us, right? He created you and I. And we were born in sin, like I said in Psalm 51.5. Even though God created us, we are separated from God because of sin. And we can trace that back to what? Genesis to Adam and Eve. The phrase, we were continually straying like sheep, describes by analogy the wayward, purposeless, dangerous, excuse me, and helpless wandering of lost sinners, whom Jesus described as sheep without a shepherd. I think all of us that before came to faith, we were straying, right? We were straying according to God. Even though sometimes that we would find favor in the world, right? But that was still wrong. I don't know about you, but because of laws that was built in the United States, right? There's certain things based on what the Ten Commandments, right? And other things that, okay, I can't do that. There's something inside of me to tell me that's morally incorrect. Now, that could have been upbringing in the church and my mom and dad. But we were straying like sheep before we came to faith in Jesus Christ. Every turn carries the connotation of repentance, a turning from sin, and in faith and turning towards Jesus Christ. But Peter's readers had trusted in Christ's death and turned to him for salvation. Like the prodigal son in Luke 15, they and us had turned away from the misery of their former sinful life and received new life in Jesus Christ. All who are saved come under the perfect, listen, perfect care, perfect provision, and perfect protection of the shepherd 
and guardian of our souls. Perfect. The analogy of God as shepherd is a familiar and rich theme in Scripture. Jesus identified himself as God when he took the divine title and named himself the Good Shepherd, as seen in John 10. You see, shepherd is an appropriate title for the Savior since it conveys his role as feeder, leader, protector, cleanser, and restorer. And believers of sheep is also an appropriate analogy because sheep are not the smartest in some way. Some people said sheep are stupid, gullible, dirty, and defenseless. And that's probably true to a degree. We need help. And the term guardian serves as a cinnamon underneath the term describing Jesus' care for his flock. It is the word usually translated as bishop or overseer which along with the shepherd also describes the responsibilities of the pastor or elders. By his death and resurrection for his flock, the Lord has become the shepherd. Now you can take it, the shepherd and the guardian of our eternal souls. When you come to a saving faith in Christ, you are going to heaven, guaranteed. Jesus was our example as a substitute and our shepherd. So as I conclude, remember, it's not easy living a Christian life. It's not. It's hard at times. But look to Jesus. You remember the wristbands that came out? What would Jesus do? Right? It's kind of the same thing. Talk to the Holy Spirit. You need help. Just do it. And we have conversations with each other, right? Just do it. Just do it. Holy Spirit will help you. Let's pray. Father God, we do give you thanks and praise. And I just pray, Father, for all of us here this morning. Holy Spirit, that you would push us towards you, push us towards Jesus when we need help, when we come in certain situations of our life, especially in certain stress situations. But God... Thank you that we can come to you anywhere at any time and to confess those sins that we have done. Holy Spirit, again, help us. Continue to teach us and empower us at times to fight off those situations that lead to sin. In Jesus' name, amen.